0: This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus. For light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. You know, nobody goes into a white elephant thinking, man, I'm going to get something really good today. This is going to be awesome. And um, I, I do got to give a shout out. Joseph probably uh, gave one of the greatest white elephant gifts I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and Esteban was the recipient, and it changed his life forever. So um, I'm going to leave it that way. Um, Say got him. I I was gonna show a picture, but that might backfire. So, um, what's so what's interesting about white elephant gifts is that uh, people bring kind of the stuff they don't want, but they wrap it up like really nicely. It's almost like the wrapping and and all that goes into it is more valuable than the gift itself. And um, so you wrap it up really nicely. You put a bow on it. You put it in the middle of the room, hoping that somebody's gonna come and like take it. Um, But the expectation is that the gift that you're going to get is not going to be of extreme value to you. So there's an expectation to a white elephant gift exchange where nobody really goes in and they're like, man, we can't wait to see what I get. It's going to change my life unless Joseph gives it to me. Right. I mean, that's kind of what it that's kind of like what we go in thinking. And when we talk about sin, it's kind of the same way. And I'm glad that um you know Steven gave that intro. we planned that, right? like that was just perfect. um, yeah, man, we talked last night. we're like, what are you gonna talk about bro but um but you know, sin is the same way no, nobody ever goes in like saying like, "Oh, that looks really pretty, and i'm gonna I'm gonna take it, and it's gonna be of extreme value to me. um actually, sin comes really wrapped up in a bow and nice wrapping paper, but you know that what's inside is going to not just be of no value to you it's actually going to destroy you so then the question is like why do we say well I want that anyway you know so there's there's something about sin that we're going to address today and John addresses this as well so we're going to be in first John chapter 3 and we're going to keep going we're going to start off in verse 2 um, so verse 2 and verse 3 of first John chapter 3 uh, is kind of connected to chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. Um, and then it's going to go on to talk about the lawlessness of sin. But um, we're going to cover all of that stuff. And, and really what I'm, what I'm hoping today is that you leave here encouraged, that you do have the power over sin in Christ, and that you don't have to be a slave to it. And we know that Jesus brings life and that sin brings death. But then if we know that it brings death, why do we go that way anyway? Why do we choose it? So we're going to talk about that today. So let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you because you're a good God. And, Lord, we thank you because you're faithful to us. So, Jesus, I pray that you speak to us through your word this morning, God, that you help me to collect my thoughts, Lord, and everything that has been going on this weekend to put all that aside and focus on you and your word for these next few moments together. So, Lord, remove distractions. God, speak to our hearts. Lord, let everything that comes out of my mouth, Lord, be of you and not myself. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so we're going to let, let's go ahead and let's backtrack a little bit. It's not going to be, um, I don't know if I put the passages on the screen, but let's start in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And I know we went through this last week. Um, and we're going to start in verse 2, but we got we to gotta put it all together. We got to connect all the dots. Um, so that way, verse 2 and 3, when we talk about it, it'll make sense. So verse 28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him as his coming. If you know that he is righteous... And know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And now this is chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And what should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that that it did not know him. Verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is purified. So uh, we got to look at verse 2 and 3, and I love how John starts verse 2 in chapter 3. Now remember last week, we talked about us knowing that Jesus is going to return should actually give us confidence and, and give us hope and that we find ourselves unashamed when he comes back. So while everybody's running for the hills, we are celebrating the return of Jesus Christ because we belong to him. And there's, and there's something beautiful in that. And we talked about that's where we find our confidence in. And because we find our confidence, in the hope that God gives us, we don't rely on our worldly confidence, but we rely on confidence, right? That, that tells us, like, I've called you and I have and I have named you and you belong to me. So, regardless of you finding confidence in yourself, which does not work, you're gonna find confidence in me, and that's where we get our confidence from. And that's gonna help us to, to push forward. Now, John is going to encourage us a little bit more starting in, in, in verse 2. He says, my dear friends, now we are children of who? Y'all could talk. We are children of who? God, right? So it's almost like John is starting with this encouragement. He's like, hey, remember, like you're a child of God. I think this is so vital. Because even as believers, if, when, whenever we state that we are believers in Christ, when we're Christians, the world is going to hey, always have something to say. They're going to push back. They're going to call you names. They're going to they're going to call you all these things. They're like, oh, here come like the right wing freaks. And I mean, like whatever you see on the news. I mean, that's what the world's going to push on you. And what John is doing here is he is reiterating that you are a child of God. Now, remember, we got to connect it from chapter two, verse twenty eight. So John is giving us this amazing confidence, but he's also reminding us that the moment that you say yes to Jesus, that you surrender your life to Jesus, boom, you become a child of God. There's no like testing out period. There's no like, let me drive the car before I buy it. No, you become a child of God immediately when you repent. He changes your heart. He gives you the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. Don't get lost in that word. Remember, words defined differently, right? So if you guys know what I'm talking about Friday. Um, So make sure that you know that soon as you have surrendered your life to Christ, you become a child of God. And when he's coming, John is going to continue in this thought is, and what we will be has not yet been known to us. But what we do know I'm sorry, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's kind of a little bit of a tongue twister here. Now remember who John is writing this to. The Gnostics believed in this cultural, like this this dualism between material and the physical and the spiritual. Like there's a separation here. So you could do whatever you want in the body, but as long as the spiritual is intact... Then you could be enlightened, and a lot of these guys are walking around saying, "I'm enlightened, so you knew, you must listen to me." God has spoken to me, and not to you. So we have this in line. We're like like God's little G. We get to do all these things, and that has caused a shift in the way they see sin and in morality. And John is pushing back, and he's like, "No, you're a child of God." Now we don't know. Um, and, and what he will be has not yet been made known. So as these Gnostics are going around and they're telling people that they know stuff and that they're, they, they have like this inside, tr, insider trading knowledge, John is saying, no, we don't yet know what all of this is going to look like. But the truth is, is like when you become a child of God, you begin this step. It's called what we like to call sanctification. How the Holy Spirit works in us, and you become more and more like Christ. You take on the characteristics of Christ. You, you, have the DNA, you have the spiritual DNA of Christ. That's what John tells Nicodemus about being born again. But when Christ appears, that's when you're really gonna see how we become like Christ no sin, no shame. It's going to be perfect in heaven. We're truly going to be like him. He says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's pretty incredible. And uh, what I want us to really understand, too, is if you look back, John just talks about how it's, it's because of his lavish love on us that all of this is going down. You see, God's love, we gotta understand God's love because God's love aligns with God's character. So you can't separate the two. So because God is faithful, his love is faithful. Because his God is all-powerful, his love is all-powerful. Because God is like unimaginable, his love is inimaginable. God is all-knowing, his love is all-knowing. Like, think about God. His love is uh, is a part of his characteristic so we get to take part in that and for some of us we can't even imagine God's love because God is unimaginable and so is his love for us the Bible says in Isaiah that his, his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts for some of us we will never comprehend his love and that is okay but if we see God then we see love So what he's saying is like there's going to be a time where when Christ appears, we're going to be just as he is. So we're not only going to go with him, but that's when we're really going to kind of take on his form, the the actual character of God, and that is an exciting thing. So we shall conform to the image of Christ, i.e. his nature. But this does not mean that believers become little gods. And there is a teaching out there that kind of says that like because you have the Holy Spirit living in you you're able to kind of be like God and that's what the Gnostics kind of believed and and what John is saying is like no that's not how this works you are not a deity you are not a little entity you're not a little God walking around No, so you take on the image of Christ. We take on the nature of Christ. And when we go to be with him, we're really going to be like Christ. But he's the only God, nobody else. And that's something that we got to remember. And I know it's kind of hard for us to understand. But when we look at stuff that's self-serving and stuff that we make out of idols, it's really easy to talk about God's little g. So we need to make, we got to be careful that we don't fall into that category. And then verse 3 is the verse that sops everything up, right? Like this is the last breadstick on the table where you have like a little bit of sauce on your plate left and you need like a bread to like, this is like, you know, you're eating carne guisada and dos molinas and you have a little tiny bit left so you order tortillas even though you're full because you need to do the mop job, you know what I'm saying? Like that's verse 3 right here, okay? Verse 3 is... Is the thing that brings it all together. All right, this is the tortilla dos molinas. I'm getting hungry. All right. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. You see, that's what brings it all together. So we have that confidence. We know he's coming back. And because we know this, this changes the way that we live our lives. I.e., we thirst and hunger for holiness and righteousness, and we start to hate sin. No, we hate sin. Sin is something that we're like, oh, man, I love God so much. Like, if, if I know that he's coming back, if I know, if I have this hope in me, then sin does not pay, play a major role in my life. And I will fight to stay Holy and righteous. You see, what he talks about is all have uh, this hope. They purify themselves. Why do we fight for righteousness and holiness? Because he is pure. I love what he says in 1 Peter. He says, be holy because the Lord your God is holy. It's a command. You go, you pursue holiness. That's how you see the Lord. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will go for us? Those who have Clean hands and a pure heart. That's Psalms 24. It doesn't say those who go to church all the time, those who memorize scripture, those who serve. No, he's talking about holiness. And if you truly want to experience God, you're going to pay attention to holiness. And I'll be honest, that's something that I'm, I'm learning more and more, especially going through the book of 1 John. All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. You know, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through, um, we'll go ahead and read that. Philippians 3, and a lot of us know this passage because this is kind of where this hope, this is what the, the hope turns into. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, it says this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of what for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, so what Paul is saying, he's like, man, I am pressing on for the prize. I am living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. My endurance, my faith is going to go so that way I continue to please God in his holiness. And when I get there, Christ is going to be my reward. That's what I'm striving for right now. So as we're here on this earth, we are going through the sanctification process God is continually working in us through the Holy Spirit to become more and more like him, to take on the character of Christ. And that means fighting our sin because he is holy. But when we get to him, that's when you're really going to experience something wild and the reward is Jesus. Now, there's a little transition that happens here because he talks about the hope that we have through verse three. And now we he jumps to. Really break down so because we have to purify ourselves because God is pure, that means that we must take sin a little bit serious, not a little bit a lot of it. Sin is a serious thing so look at verse four and he breaks these next three verses down I mean this is this is so um, John is so clear here everyone who sins breaks the law in fact, sin is lawlessness verse five but you know that He appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And in verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or has known him. So verse 4, he talks about this. He's like, because God is pure. So everyone who sins breaks the law. Now, if we don't explain this correctly... A lot of people could kind of like take this verse and run with it in a different direction. But you got to look at how this is written. The verb here is he who sins actually means he who continues to sin. So what John is addressing is habitual sin. He's talking about if there's sin in your life that you do just out of habit, like it's, 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 it's a part of you, but not just out of habit. But you're kind of like you've become numb to it. Like there's no conviction of the anointed one in your life that when you sin, you feel like, oh man, I need forgiveness now. And because you don't have the conviction of the anointed one, you continue to sin. Like it's just a part of your life, like it's a part of your everyday, like it's no big deal. And you're wrapped up in it. But see what John is getting to here, he's like, If you are a believer in Christ, when you do sin, when you commit sin, then there is a conviction. And that conviction leads to confession. You see the trajectory here? But non-believers, when they do sin, they don't recognize that they're in their sin. There is no conviction. Therefore, it will not lead to a confession to a holy and righteous God. And when I say confession, don't think of the Catholic Church confession. Like, don't be like, Lord Father, Lord, Lord, Lord. no, no, that's not what it... We have a, a high priest. That's, that's who we confess to. That's what it talks about in Hebrews. So there's got to be something in you that when you do sin, you're like, Ah, oh, man, I, I got to stop. Like, this is tearing me up. I can't keep doing this. You see, what he's addressing is habitual sin here. Because if you do take on the new nature, God's character, if you claim that you're a believer then sinning is going to go against the work of God in your life. It's it's not going to match up. And then he goes on and he says that sin is lawlessness. He's like, no, like, don't just do like habitual sin. No, it's lawlessness. We learned this in Romans how sin leads to more sin. It doesn't just stop. So when, when John is talking about being lawlessness in our sin, He's pretty much, he's using this term lawlessness as you're committing transgressions to God's law. Like you are purposely knowing that you are breaking God's law. So I'll give you an example. So whenever you pull up to a four-way stop sign, how many of us actually stop and count to three? One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three. Well, except for Wally, you know, Wally. The four-way stop sign at my house Like, I'm like 50 yards out looking both ways, and I'm like, I'm clear. (laughs) Like, I'm going. I'm, I'm an aware driver. Now, why do I do that? I know that the law is to stop at the stop sign, but I continue to do what I do. You see, that's lawlessness. You see, we know what God's law says towards sin. We see it. We see the signs. But we continue to do what we do. And that's what he's saying. Sin is lawlessness. So even though we know, so we are being, um, we're being like, um, we're in rebellion towards God's sin. I mean, we're uh, uh, in rebellion toward God because of our sin. So we kind of are aligning ourselves to the world saying, the law doesn't really exist, or I could get away with it. So I'm going to kind of live the way I do. And And when we do that, if you're in God, then you have a conviction in your life, which leads to repentance, which means that you're going to do an about face and you're going to stop. But if you don't stop and you continue in these patterns and it doesn't impact you and there's no conviction and and there's no confession and you only feel bad because you got caught, that's not the work of Christ in us. That's in James chapter four, verse 17. So everyone who practices like this habitual sin is living in an ongoing condition of lawlessness. That's Romans 4.15, which marks all who are outside of God's kingdom. That's a hard truth, y'all. So when people tell you they're followers of Christ, you don't just say explain it to me. You also be like, you got to show me your fruit here. Because if you're loving sin and it doesn't faze you and all that stuff, then I got We got We have a talk. We got to ask some questions. Look at verse five. Let's keep going. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins in him. There is no sin. You see, there's another reason why we should not practice lawlessness is because it's incompatible to the work of God. So Jesus, there's no sin in Christ. He's the one that took the sin. So in order for us to be forgiven of sin, we must, there must be something or somebody that could meet the standard of God, the law of God, which is perfect. Whenever people tell me, well, Rick, you don't have to be um, a believer in Christ to be good. My next question is like, well, then what's good? What standard do you have that's good? Well, I don't even kill nobody. Well, what's your standard of good? Let's ask Hitler, Stalin. Because they killed millions of people and they thought they were doing great. You know, so we got to have a standard. We got to have a law that is perfect and that we aim for. And that law is the law that God created. Why does his matter? Because he's the only one that could do it. Jesus is the only one that lived a life without sin. So he was able to take our sins because there was no sin in him. For God made him who knew no sin to be our sin so that on our behalf, so that way you and I could become the righteousness of God. That's 1 Corinthians 5.20. So all these great things. So John is letting everyone know that our sins are forgiven because Christ did not have any sin in his entire life. So he's able to forgive us of our sins. And then look at verse 6. The, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or have known him. Man, that's a strong passage. So what John is pointing to is as a believer, listen, you could have all the information in the world. But your confidence and your and your perception and your personal per- perception, should be able to appear to others. And, and you should take sin seriously. And when, when he talks about Christ not having sin, and in, in him being able to destroy sin, that's not like a past thing. No, this, it's like a present reality. Like our sins are forgiven past, present, and future because of what the work that Christ did on the cross. So John is making sure that we really understand this. And in verse 6, he's like, no one that lives in him keeps on sinning. It's that word habitual again. If you belong to Jesus, then your life should be so drastically changed that you look different than your past life. We say in in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, says the old has gone and the new has come. Will you continue to sin and will you struggle with sin? Yes, because we are broken people. Will you be a slave to sin? You don't have to be a slave anymore because Christ. Do you find joy in sin? No, because of Christ. Those are the marks of a real believer. And no one who lives in Jesus, in Christ, keeps on living the same way that they lived before. There's got to be something that changes in your life. There's got to be a heart change. You know, I was thinking about Paul. When Paul ran into Christ in the road to Damascus and he was blinded and the scales fell off his eyes, Paul didn't stand back up and say, All right, I'm going to keep going to go be an extremist again. No, like the encounter with Christ was so powerful that it changed his life forever. He didn't go back. And I know a lot of us that have been changed through Jesus. Even though we struggle and we fight with the sin in our life that he saved us from. from, There's nothing in me that's like, man, I sure do wish I was back there. No way. Are you kidding me? No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. So you didn't just experience... Christ you have no idea who he is and he doesn't know who you are which is kind of scary so we need to make sure that this whole idea of constant sinning and habitual sin like we have to repent if that is us and we got to say do I really have a relationship with Jesus Christ do I understand do I have his anointing because if my life continues this way then I don't know if he abides in me and I abide in him now, here's what's wild about all this. <clears throat> As I was thinking about this, when Paul talks about like this lawlessness, about sin and all that. like We know, especially out of Romans, like for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that sin is destructive. If I went on a game show and they were like, Ricky, behind door number one. You're going to have death, destruction, and disorder. Behind door number two, you're going to have life. What door would you like to pick today? I'm not going to be like, give me door number one, bro. I'm going to try that out. No, like that's so dumb. Like you know where it's going to lead you to. And as believers, many of us know that our sin is destructive. We know that it leads us to. So my question is then why do we keep doing it? What is it about it? And the truth is, sin does not show up in its natural form. It's almost like a white elephant gift. It is gift wrapped beautifully and nicely in self-satisfaction. And they put a humongous bow of self-deception. You see, like most of the sin feeds our sinful man, our sinful nature. It is satisfying we do it because it makes us good feel good about ourselves but that's exactly what John talked about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of man so whenever sin does appear in our life it doesn't come in the form of death and destruction and and all that stuff no it actually comes in the form of this is good for you It's going to make you happy, and this is going to satisfy your life. And then once you get in it, it becomes habitual. It's habit forming. Like you just keep doing it. It just keeps on working. It's habit forming, and then because you just continue it, it becomes lawless. You know that it's wrong, but because it feels good, I'm going to keep moving forward to it. But ultimately, your sin is going to lead you to death. It's going to destroy you. And I think that there's three things that sin does in our lives. So I, I kind of want to address, how does it become habitual? How, how does sin become a habit forming? How, how does it lead to destruction in my life? And I think that there's three, there's three things that it forms. And I'm just going to start kind of like from the top down. Number one, sin is death forming. It's death forming. We know out of Scripture, for the wages of sin is death. It straight up tells you. It's right here. And we say it over and over again. It's so destructive that the Son of God had to give His life for it. Something had to die. It's death forming. It erodes your life. Like if you think about like waves hitting the land a little bit at a time, it's not all at once, but... A little bit at a time, that, that land just starts to kind of disintegrate into the ocean. And next thing you know it, there's landslides and destruction and houses are collapsing. So it always starts with this death form. And we know that. But it's also cycle forming. Where do I get that from? Because in verse 4, he says that sin is not just lawless, but it's, it's also something that we continue to do. It forms cycles in our life. And then the way it eases into our lives is pattern forming. It forms patterns in our lives. And I know a lot of us get sucked into this. So we see, the, we see sinful, we want to please our flesh. We want to please our humanity. So we start doing the same thing over and, over and over and over and over and over again, expecting different results. That's maddening. That's the definition of Insanity. You know, we saw this like the woman at the well, where she had all these different partners. How come they just don't keep working? Like, what is it about it? What is it about her? A lot of us fall in that same category, where we do the same thing. We find our, our joy in sin, and all of a sudden we feel terrible, we feel bad, we, get, we try to get our lives better. Once it's better, we find joy and sin and you keep going and you're doing the same thing, expecting different results. And you're going to get to a place where you're like, man, my relationships are wrecked. My family's jacked up. I'm not living in my purposeness. I have no effectiveness in life. Now I'm, I'm tied to addictions. Why? Because it's pattern forming. You got to start looking. Why? And then you get to a place where, you're like, how come nothing is working? How come I'm on my fifth relationship? Because you keep doing the same thing. How come I keep giving myself to people? How come I keep putting this stuff in my body? Why do I keep living this way? Because it's pattern forming. You've bought into the lie. And now it's, it's formed patterns in your life. But here's what sin does, because if you give Satan a little bit, he's not just going to destroy your life, but he's also going to take your legacy. So now it's going to creep into your what? Your families. You see, so now it's like I'm pattern formed. Like, so these are the things that I continually do in my life that is out of sin. And now who's taking part in it? My kids. Kid is watching how dad treats mom. My kid, my son, my daughter is watching how mom treats dad. How they're, they're, they're not loving each other. How, how they're buying into their sin. So those patterns are now creeping in to the rest of your legacy and the rest of your family, and those cycles begin to form. And now Miho's gonna do it, now Miha's gonna do it, and it's just gonna continue to go. Family from generation to generation to generation, unless something breaks. And those patterns form, those cycles form, and then what ends up at the end of it all is death and destruction. Not just for your life, but we got to think about our families and our kids and our generations. Their lives as well. Our relationships. You have to ask yourself, why in the world is every single man in my family abusive? Why are we all alcoholics? Why are all the women in my family divorced? Why did all of us get pregnant when we were 15? What is it about these destructive lifestyles? How come it keeps happening? Because of habitual sin. You didn't take sin serious. So these patterns form into cycles. These cycles form into destruction. And it po- and, and at the heart of all of this is Satan saying, God, you do not work. You pull people away from the faith. Everything Satan does is to go against what God created and to thrive. So whenever we start in, those, in that path, we fall into this whole, like, self-made and self-help. Well, if, you, if, if you're self-made and self-help, you better add self-destruct, too. Because <laughs> that's exactly where you're heading. Right. I can do it myself. I've read 10 books. I'm like, yeah, well, keep reading. You're going to read 10 more because it's never going to work so how do we get out of this how do I get out of this you abide in Christ Jesus is the only one that could enter into your life and take that sin away so he doesn't just take the sin away but he takes the hunger of sin away and he replaces it with a hunger and thirst of righteousness that's how we know we're in him So whenever that habitual, whenever sin starts creeping in our lives and I dabble back in it, instead of me being like, oh, that was awesome. Like, this is great. Like, man, my wife and kids hate me now. (laughs) Now it's going to be like, wow, I have failed miserably. God, forgive me when I fall into my flesh. Help me to honor and please you more. Whenever you start seeing more of Jesus, you start seeing less of sin when people are like, how do I fight it? How do I fight it? How do I fight it? It's Christ. Man, the more you see him, his beauty, the more you're around his people, all that stuff. That's what helps you fight our sin. Listen, you will struggle. We're not perfect people, but we do serve a perfect God. And he will help us. So what's on the flip side? So what he says here, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So if I know him and I and I have his um and I have his anointing, now I'm choosing life now. For the wages of sin is death. But thank God for the but in the verse, calm down. The gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord so if I choose the gift of God which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord it's the same thing except it's backwards it's life-forming and it's going to form these life-giving patterns in my life and it's going to creep into the cycles of my life so sin no longer is leading me into a destructive path so With sin, my relationships are jacked up, my family's jacked up, my purpose, all that stuff. But now, I have life leading. I have Christ in me. I'm abiding in him. I honor and thirst for righteousness. Life-forming, life-giving. That means that my cycles, my kids are going to see the way I treat my wife. They're going to see how mom treats dad. They're going to see us worshiping together. They're going to see us reading God's word together. They're going to see us forgiving one another whenever we have smackdowns at home. They're going to see how we handle that. And that cycle is going to break off. And then they're going to continue to grow in a life where they're going to want to honor God because mom and dad are honoring the Lord. I pray for my kids, man. I'm like, man, I pray that Livy and Elena fall in love with Jesus. Who cares if they could kick a ball? Who cares if they're in select? It doesn't matter to me. My number one goal in life is for them to follow and fall in love with Christ because I know that if they follow Jesus, then their steps are going to be guided the rest of their lives. Regardless, we don't need no help from the world. All that other stuff is going to continue. So instead of being self-made and self-help and and all that stuff, it's going to be Christ-made and Christ-help and sin-destruction instead of self-destruction. Christ is the one that takes it over. So my patterns are going to be righteous and holy patterns. They're going to guide my relationships, my family. My purpose is found in him now. I'm going to be gospel effective. My addictions are going to be for the things of the Lord, not for the things of this world. That means that they're going to be life-giving. My relationships are going to thrive. I'm going to find and marry an awesome woman named Rachel. Right? Come on. You know, that, that's, I mean, I could only bring so much to the table, but the Lord has to do the rest here. But you see, that's where those patterns fall in. So now in my cycles, whenever we do fight with sin and now I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm restored, I'm, uh, you know, it's life forming. And then we're going to continue to see that for our families for generations and generations to come. See, I'm not lost anymore. And I know some of us have seen that, and we'll just close with this and we'll pray. It's new, it's fresh, it's exciting whenever you follow Christ for the first time. And and it continues that way. Now, some of us are stuck in those patterns and those cycles of sin. Let me encourage you this, this way. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. You've got to deal with the heart issue first. You could go to all these places, you could talk to all these people, but if Jesus is not at the center of it, you're going to just keep going through those cycles of seeking help, reading books, and all these things. Christ is the one that changes our hearts. He's the one that forgives us, and he's the one that gives us life. So listen, if if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, Ricky, you are all up in my Kool-Aid and you know the flavor. (laughs) How did you know? Listen, Jesus is the answer. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he wants to give you life. Go to him. Go to him. We pray for us, and then we'll worship a little bit and have some announcements. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for all that you are in our lives, God. Lord, we pray, um, Father, that we just fall more in love with you. And Lord, for those who are fighting sin, for those who are struggling with sin, for those who um, have a habitual sin in, in our lives, God, I, I pray that you free us from that. God, that you show us that there is a better way, that there's life, not just for you, Lord, or not just for us, but for our families and for our children and their children. So, God, I pray that you help us to be faithful to you, help us to surrender our lives to you, Father. And if there's anybody in this room who has not made a decision for you, Father, that your spirit convict them to show them that there's nothing better than to surrender your life to Christ, to you, Father, because you bring life. So, Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen.